Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 107. I want to welcome back my co-host, who's, I know that for the last couple weeks, it seemed like he's been in studio. That is not the case. Uh, We recorded those before he left uh, on his uh, production job in uh, Texas, but he's he's actually back now. It's Josh Long. Josh. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing good. How was Texas? It was was hot. And humid, I bet. Yeah, it was. I forgot about the southeast humidity being from the southeast uh, until I get back there, and you you have that thing where like you you're gonna leave the apartment in the evening, and you're like, oh, well, it'll be cool now, and then you walk outside, and it's nope, nope. <laughs> yeah, when I moved from Denver, which is a dry climate, to southern Missouri, which is not, mm. uh, and I I mean we moved at the, at the beginning of summer, so I felt every day of it, <laughs> and it would it just astounded me Mm. that and i've said it before you would think that the absence of a giant fiery ball that if you are exposed to for too long your skin will burn burn like in a fire (laughs) you would think that the absence of that completely to the extent that there is no light would make a temperature difference maybe two or three degrees (laughs) it's 95 instead of 98 yeah ridiculous seems like it should be a more drastic difference yeah I it's just, not it's not so um I don't but i it. i had a good time had some good food that's had some good the, fun <laughs> had some good fun some good times i forget did you go to the alamo draft house i did yes. what did you see i saw chef chef how was that it was good i enjoyed it All it right. was a good movie to be uh because you get hungry during that movie mm-hmm. so fortunately i had ordered food at the beginning <laughs> Is the is the food the fact that people are eating and then the the check drop at the end is that distracting from the film itself? It seems like it would be. I didn't I didn't feel like it was that distracting. Um, there is like a little noise going on throughout of people eating and everything like that. Yeah. But I think once you get used to that, you kind of forget about it. The problem is I couldn't find the menu at first, and everyone was I can see everyone in the rest of the place making their order, and the yeah. menu's in there's like a little table there, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, the menu is actually, it's in a little cubby under the table, which I never would have figured out unless I asked the people next to me when finally the lights were starting to go down. And I was like, I'm not going to be able to figure this out in the dark. Um, so that was confusing to me. Then <laughs> I think the waiter thought that I was with the woman who was at the table that was, because you have to share a table with a person. Oh, I don't like that at all. Yeah. So our check was put together. <laughs> so then that was a little distracting from the movie is that during the movie, you, this woman and I have to parse out how we're going to pay for this. But then you left before the end of the movie and just stuck her with the check. I did. So really I came out on top. Yeah. Though you don't know how chef ends. <laughs> I have no idea, but it you was do worth not it. not see that multiple suicide ending coming. <laughs> it was worth that. it for the free grilled cheese. <laughs> um, okay. So... Uh, we, we do need to, uh, keep this episode short cause we've got, uh, a hard out as they say. Got places to be listener. Yeah. I mean, we need to be here, well, but there yeah. will be more people here later and we need to, we need to entertain them. It's Josh's job as well. When he is here for more than one lesson, this is like his home. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with what I just said. I consider wherever I am currently my home. Would you venture to say where you lay your head is home? Um, maybe where I lay my feet or where I sit down for a little while. My home is my car periodically for, you know, 20 to 30 minutes at a time. Fair enough. I was quoting Metallica lyrics, but I don't care for Metallica. Do you? I'm not sure if I do or not. Although I've been, I've been recently getting into more like old school heavy metal. So yeah, maybe I should give Metallica a chance and see what I think. Like some of that mid eighties stuff. See if I like it. I liked them. 
years ago, but as time has gone on, I just think like, ah, what are you trying to prove Metallica? <laughs> I liked Enter Sandman when I was, you know, a teenager. Exactly. But that sounds about right. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. So no offense to anybody who likes Metallica, but you shouldn't. So, uh, okay. I'm not necessarily agreeing with that sentiment. Yeah. And I will say, uh, as I think I've said before, when it comes to, uh, mu- uh music, um, whatever you like, that's fine. Even if I don't understand it, there's stuff that I like that other people don't. Uh, I feel like unlike dramatic or literary art, I feel like music, it just hits you a certain way. And then maybe you, as a person, you grow or whatever, and it hits mm-hmm. you a different way. Who's to say? But I feel like you aren't, you aren't really responsible for what hits you the right way. I don't know. I wish I knew more about music yeah. and I could talk about why... All I can ever do is talk about how music makes me feel and how certain lyrics strike me a certain way. But as as far as, oh, well, you see, this is timed out just right to, to uh, hit certain notes that right. will like scientific are scientifically proven to put you in a certain mood. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know anything about that. You play piano. I do. But I, I don't know about the science of it, unfortunately. Okay. But uh, I do think it's good to be exposed. I think the same way with film that it's good to be exposed to a lot of different types of film and lots of different films. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I feel like it's the same story with music. The more you're exposed to it, the more you know about it, and the more uh, you can tell yeah. what is what you like. And uh, yeah, yeah, and and it does change. Probably it changes as you get older. Probably because you are just almost inherent. Just as a function of getting older, you're just exposed to more mm-hmm. and you might find something that hits your ear. And then you find something in a genre that is similar to this other thing, but still outside of that. And bef- I mean, I wouldn't say I like country. In fact, I, I don't like a lot of modern country, but I certainly know that years ago I did not like Roy Orbison and I love Roy Orbison now. I yeah. think he's awesome. Yeah, I think there's a lot of oldies stuff that I kind of knew before, and now that yeah. I know more about music, I enjoy more. Yeah. Several weeks ago, when you said that you drove over here listening to Frankie Valley, <laughs> yeah. could not, never got into them. Um, I just don't understand the appeal. Doo-wop in general, I don't understand the appeal. Yeah. I feel like there are times when I feel like I would, I would have enjoyed living in the fifties. Mm. And then I hear that music and realize that is sort of the, that was sort of the only option at the time with a few <laughs> exceptions here and there. So, you know what? I don't know if fine. I'd want to live in a world where it was the only option, but I, but I do enjoy some of yeah. it. I got some Everly brothers recently, which is, that's like 58. That stuff's old. Um, Everly brothers. Like what's, what are some of their big hits? I'm um, sure. Bye bye love. I li- okay, are they wake up little Susie? Is wake that up them? little Susie. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I like the Everly Brothers. See, there, I like bye bye love. Um, okay, we do need to move on, but I will say a quick announcement. A couple of them actually. One is that you can. I was recently on post show recaps talking about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, uh, and that was a lot of fun. So you can uh, you can watch me there. What are you laughing at? I'm just, everybody has been doing the joking about the of the thing and i want to say dawn of the planet of the apes of the summer part two or something like that yeah uh west anthony who who is the co-host of the auteur cast he says of the dawn of the planet of the of the apes of the (laughs) i think when uh david Bax in an email at some point recently listed it like nonchalantly without (laughs) even pointing out that it was a joke called it something like dawn of the rise of the something of the planet of the eight. Like he, he just gave it that really long name and made me laugh. Yeah. Dennis Miller had a bit about, uh, James Bond movie titles mm. and how they all just sort of incorporate the same, the same ideas mm. where he just goes, I'm a big fan of, uh, die, die, live tomorrow, yesterday, forever. He goes, I liked it a lot more than the last one, which was, uh, kill daylight's nighttime finger um but uh anyway okay sorry so you can find me at uh, post show recaps for that uh and then also this is a big deal this is very exciting uh more than one lesson is going to, at the very least definitely me uh and then very likely josh um at this point it's almost 100 percent that you'll be there right yeah okay uh, we will be on Thursday, the 24th at 8 p.m. We will be at the 
Dublin Square Irish Pub in San Diego as a function of uh, San Diego Comic-Con. We will be there for a meetup. Uh, a lot of podcasts are going to be there, but Josh mm-hmm. and I will definitely be there representing more than one lesson, and then I will be representing Battleship Pretension as well. I'll be doing double duty. Um, some people I'll ask, what you know, what what can I pray for you about? And other people I can, I'll just say, Avatar's dumb, and that sort of thing. So, although that one will probably work its way into both. I was I'll pray say. for you for liking Avatar. I'll, I'll do that. Um, but yeah, so uh, so you can you can find us there. Uh, we I enjoy meeting listeners, and uh, so that's eight p.m. That's uh, a Thursday, July twenty fourth, at the Dublin Square Irish Pub. Uh, yeah, so very very much looking forward to that. So okay. We have killed 10 minutes saying literally nothing. So we got to try and get this in in about 50 minutes or less. So, okay. We are talking about a multiple Oscar winner last year. We are talking about Alfonso Cuaron's Gravity, a crowd-pleasing favorite. Mm -hmm. Uh, It won Best Director, Cinematography, Editing, Music, Sound Editing, Sound Mixing, and Visual Effects. If you happen to get it as your catch-all... Uh, in the uh, in our fa- in our uh, fantasy Oscar draft, which I did, uh, you got a lot of you got a lot of you're in uh, good shape. A lot of points, Oscar night. It wasn't enough to make up for uh, the stuff that you didn't get. Uh, like I don't think I got. Oh no, I did get Blue Jasmine for actress, but none of my other actors got nominated. Which did I get ridiculous. anything? My I had a bad year this year. You Although I was play. I was last pick, so that hurt me this year. But yeah, I think you I got think screenplay for her. I did, which yeah. I think was my second pick. Sandra Bullock was my first pick, actually. Mm. Which nobody could. Have, not no being, one was going to beat Kate Blanchett yeah. that year. I remember when I picked when I picked her. Everyone in the room was like, "Oh, mm. she was the Daniel Day Lewis from Lincoln." Of, yeah, uh, which is what I had last year. Which yeah. is one of the reasons I was trying to go with. Oh, you know, I went with maybe I did picture first. I don't know. I don't remember what I picked first. Yeah. Anyway, it was, it was after nine other people had gotten to pick, so I was a little yeah. was slim pickings near the end there. You know, even when I don't win, I mean, I came in dead last the first year, and I didn't care. I love, <laughs> I love this. I love our fantasy Oscar draft. Um, and so, and just next year, we just won't incorporate Dan. I don't like the idea of giving money to him. No, no, he should be forever excluded. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like the name of a biography, right? If he could be forever excluded, but like from a very close distance, like if maybe he could be looking in a window while we're doing yeah, the pick. With his face pressed up against it and it's raining outside. And he's like, guys, great. the door's locked. <laughs> guys. And he stays there the whole time. Yeah. Like he's and sure. And then we finally let him in after we're all done. He goes, what's left? He's sure that maybe we just forgot for the <laughs> moment and don't realize the door's locked. That means nothing to any of you except, yes, you, Dan. I'm talking to you, <laughs> and this is the last time. I'll, this is the only way I'll talk to you from now on. Uh, so yeah, we are talking about Gravity. Uh, along with those wins, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actress, and Best Production Design. So it really was something of a of a behemoth at the Oscars. Um, it, although the winner of Best Picture was Twelve Years a Slave, which I believe only won three. Admittedly, mm-hmm. three big ones: screenplay, supporting actress, and uh, picture. No, Alfonso Cuaron got He got direct. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, he won director. That's right. 12 Years a Slave got picture. Uh, and so, uh, so okay, Gravity was a movie that everybody said, you got to see it. You got to see it in the theater. You got to see it IMAX, and you got to see it in 3D. Mm-hmm. Just all of those things. And I agree with that. Uh, for those that don't know, it's a very simple premise. Um some astronauts uh, sort of uh, who are on a mission and are orbiting the Earth. There's some space debris that destroys their ship and uh, leaving one astronaut played by Sandra Bullock completely alone and having to find a way to get home. Mm. Uh, It is incredibly tense, very stressful, and exhausting, but also quite exhilarating at times. So, and... And the spectacle factor is insane. I mean, it's yeah. amazing yet surprisingly intimate at the same time. It's, yeah. it's really a direct. It is a directorial achievement. Every Oscar it won, I think it deserved. I agree. Yeah, I, um, I. It was one of those ones that when I heard about it, I was like, "That sounds intriguing," and you kind of wonder how are they going to do that, and uh, and yeah, I feel like it delivered in all the things I was 
wondering about, wondering how they would handle it. At Comic-Con last year, you and I went to the Gravity trailer, and we saw a a clip in 3D of Gravity, and I knew nothing about it before then. And then you saw that, and I thought, this is only five minutes, and I feel like I can't go about the rest (laughs) of my day. Yeah. It was pretty... uh, It's an intense intense experience. And I, I... I don't I don't agree that the movie's not good if you can't see it in those right in IMAX and 3D um but I feel like it was made so much with that uh theater experience in mind that you are missing something if you don't see it that way. I remember probably about 7 or 8 years ago when 3D was really coming back. Um but at the time it was just primarily bad horror movies that yeah. were using it. urban legends final cut Ex- or something i don't know if that was one of them i don't final think so. destination they did a the, final yes. destination and oddly 3D. enough if any film should be in 3d <laughs> it is the final de- I, i'm fine with that i'm perfectly fine with that but uh but piranha come on mm. um and so uh and i remember a lot of people it probably including me although i didn't see any movies in 3d so uh, i didn't really care um a lot of people said Oh, 3D. I just wish it would end. I wish I wish this gimmick would be over. And I remember thinking, yeah, but if you get a good director doing this, if you get a good director like latching on to 3D and really utilizing it, then it can be just as uh just as fascinating as any other technical tool. Mm. It's just another visual effect and if you get a Spielberg or any number of other people using it, utilizing it really and exploring the potential of it, then the 3D can be a truly wonderful experience. And I didn't like Avatar, but the 3D was used remarkably well. Hmm. And then you got Martin Scorsese with Hugo, which I did not see in 3D, and apparently I missed out as a result. I didn't like Hugo personally. but um, And then you got Ang Lee with Life of Pi. The the 3D in that is gorgeous. and But I do think that this that gravity might be the height of of 3D as far as... Yeah. Just doing such a wonderful job of exploring because you can do one of you can do a number of things with 3D. One is that you can create a world that envelops you, or you can create depth in the screen and you feel and it feels very empty. It feels mm-hmm. vast. Yeah, uh, and of course this film does both. Right, and I think that's as it should be. Yeah, and I, whereas a lot of those other movies, I. I think you can say that 3D is really cool or even that it's really beautiful. Um, I don't feel like it connects with the story in the same way that it does in Gravity. Right. Um, Gravity, it's, it's, it's not a necessity, like I say, because I don't think it's a, it's a bad movie otherwise. But it's, it's almost as if there's, it's kind of two different movies. You know, mm-hmm. the experience of seeing it in IMAX and 3D is, is one type of movie and the other one's not. Uh, and here's the thing. It is such a theatrical experience. I don't know if I've seen a movie that is so that is such a theatrical experience that I feel like I can't even really recommend it on video. I'm sure it's gorgeous on Blu-ray and even 3D Blu-ray, but it ne- I feel like it needs to be seen as big as possible and I and I haven't seen it uh at home. Mm-hmm. But I feel like what what else can happen but it being diminished? Yeah, yeah. And I I saw it in the uh, in the Cinerama Dome at the Arclight oh Theater, so that was kind of like the the biggest way that you can that I can yeah. experience it. Um, I've never so been to the Cinerama Dome. That was the first time I'd been. Oh wow! And I mean, that was a I feel like that it's was a good, a good way to do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was like during the afternoon too, so there weren't even that many people there. It was pretty <laughs> great. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's it's seeing it that big is just so enveloping and since it's a movie that's supposed to be the vast expanse of space for so much of it it, that really that really delivers that imagery you know i don't like to i tend not to like it when people say that a house or a car or a city or whatever that's something where they say oh you know that's like another character i never like that it just because to me i know it sounds strange I feel like to call it another character is to value character over setting. You can just say it's an amazing setting. It's an amazing world. And to say, Oh, the world's like another character. No, it's the world. Let it be that that's fine. And I'm a big character person, but, uh, 
so I'm reluctant to say this, but in this case, space almost seems like a character in the sense that it almost seems to have a will that it is this force that is going, that is trying its hardest to kill you (laughs) all the time. Uh, and just, and when she goes, I mean, I mean, it's, there's a reason it was in the trailers, but it did not lose any of his, of its power. When she goes flying off into space and she's connected to nothing. I mean, my heart sank, but I also, I was so palpably terrified for mm-hmm. her because I thought, well, what, what now, what choice now? <laughs> yeah. And it just boy, oh boy. I mean, the Alfonso Cuaron, who has shown himself to be a, sort of a virtuoso director and very, there's a nice fluidity to him that I think, uh, fits very well with this film. But I mean, he has you in the palm of his hand mm. at all time. Yeah. You do not feel anything that he doesn't want you to feel. Yeah. Um, now, I believe, I don't remember the, the ranking, but I believe it placed in your top 10 of think, last year. I think it was my number three. That sounds right to me. Because yes. I think it was going to be two until I saw her. Yeah. And then I liked her even more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Gravity was, was definitely one of my favorite movies that year. I, and it's mostly because of that. It's mostly because of the experience of, of yeah. seeing it. And... Um, I felt like that. I felt like it was doing something that movies don't ge- don't generally do. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like that's kind of what the quote unquote summer blockbuster purports to do—to like take you on a ride and have, yeah. give you a theater theatrical experience. And I don't feel like that's ever what I get out of out of those. Granted, I don't go to see them as often as some people do, yeah. so then maybe there are some that I have just missed in the theaters that are you know amazing there, but. Um, most of the times when I do go to see them, they're exciting, they're fun, but that's that's kind of where it draws the line for me. It's not that immersive experience and that I, I feel like Gravity was. Well, and I feel like just movies in general, I think a filmmaker is just as li- – unless they make a concerted effort to not think this way, I think a filmmaker is just as likely to think in terms of the small screen as the big screen. Mm-hmm. Because first off, home theaters are as amazing as they've ever been, but also – there are so many ways to watch movies now, whether it be on your phone. Can you imagine watching <laughs> Gravity on your phone? In the airport. <laughs> uh, but I feel like there's only a select few filmmakers, and it's people that are genuinely, I think, committed to film as an art form and have a real sense of history. I think there's really only a handful that are committed to, I want this to be a big screen theatrical experience the way movies were meant to be seen. Yeah. Obviously, I think Scorsese's like that. Spielberg, the Coen brothers. Yeah, and a lot of people are going in the other direction. Like, there's a lot of movies that are even you know mainstream movies now that are getting released to to VOD or to yeah. uh, or to you know some kind of other release at the same time that they're released in the theaters to kind of minimize the importance of the theatrical release. And then they bring a lot of television directors. Mm-hmm to direct uh, theatrical films. I mean, the guy who directed uh, Thor, The Dark World, which you and I saw, mm-hmm. uh, he's a director of uh, Game of Thrones, hmm. which admittedly is a big show, yeah. but it's still for a small screen. Mm-hmm. And while I'm sure Game of Thrones, if you were to show that on a big screen, I'm sure it would hold up just fine. But uh, but I think it's worth knowing that there's a lot of sort of cross-pollination there now. As, TV's, as TV gets bigger, I feel like that... And I, a lot of people say that TV is better than film now. I'm not sure if – I don't know if you can ever really qualify that. Yeah. It's, I think it's completely subjective and they're trying to do different things. But but I think as a result of that, I feel like films just get a little bit smaller. But this film, like I said, it is so big and so inherently big, so audaciously big that to see it on a small screen is to diminish it – Maybe not completely, but a lot. And I say that having not watched mm-hmm. on the small screen. Um, I have no desire to uh, to own it. I don't really, I don't really even have a desire to see it again. To be hmm. honest with you, That's uh, interesting. Because because you know you mentioned the idea of blockbusters saying they're going to take you on a ride. This film is very much like a roller coaster. While you're there, it's amazing. But once it's over, it's over. You know, you're not reliving it uh as you 
go about your everyday life. That, and that, I think that, to me, is why it didn't wind up on my top 10. I think it was in my top 15 or 20, mm-hmm. uh, because, of course, you can't deny that style, that uh, technique. But, um, but it was just not something that really stuck with me. And that's not necessarily the film's fault. That's uh, it's not trying to be that necessarily. Uh, it's trying to be a, a an immersive, uh, kinetic experience while you're having it. Mm-hmm. And I can't fault the film for that. But I also don't have to love it uh, yeah. because it's just not the kind of thing that I like. Yeah. My favorite movie of last year was Enough Said, <laughs> uh, which it couldn't be more the opposite. <laughs> yeah, except that they both have strong female leads. I think that's about it. There you it. go. That's a connection. So well, and it, it, Julie Louis Dreyfus would have been great in Gravity, by the way, <laughs> as that same character from <laughs> Enough Said. Exactly. Propelled into space by accident. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, it's it's interesting because that that's generally not my type of movie even because mm-hmm. it's trying it, what it's trying to do as a movie is different than for for instance what my favorite movie of the year francis ha is trying yeah. to do like that's a totally different type of thing so normally i lean more towards those things the the, the ones that are more personal or maybe philosophical uh that have kind of a um that, that would connect with you on more than on more than just the visceral level. Yeah. Um, but I think it, when a movie really succeeds at, uh, appealing to you on that level, yeah, I, I that, that's good enough for me, you know, like, yeah. and, and again, I, th- I think I want to make the connection to blockbusters is that I feel like that's what a lot of them are trying to do is excite you or, yeah. or like something like that. And I feel like, gravity did that where a lot of them don't yeah it's by taking a totally different approach yeah i would be fascinated to see alfonso coron direct like a superhero movie i mean his harry potter is my favorite of the series yeah um so to see him and then i was never a huge fan of children of men because in my opinion some of the technical achievements of that are a little for lack of a better term self-conscious uh i was very aware of them while they were happening and I feel like I shouldn't have been, mm. um, but that's just me. I'm very much in the minority on that one, but, but it's still, it's still an achievement. Yeah. Um, and so I'd be interested to see what would happen if they, if they threw a, a Wolverine movie to him or something like that. I bet it would be by far one of the most satisfying visual experiences you could ever have. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a movie like this, I'm interested to see what he's going to do next. Yeah, me too. Um, do you know, he had, he, he directed an adaptation of Great Expectations. Yes. Like a did. modernized version. Mm-hmm. I just found that out recently. Like, I knew that there was one, because yeah. I'd seen that poster with Gwyneth Paltrow on it, and then I was looking at it recently, because I wanted to watch... They, they I had recently read the book, and now and last year or two years ago, they came out with a version that Mike Newell directed, um, which I saw, and it's pretty good. Um, but in looking for... Did, were you not aware of that? I think I was. Give uh, me a funny uh, look. Who... Um, it's got uh, Ray Fiennes, Helena Bonham Carter. Helena Bonham Carter, that's yeah. right. Yeah, it, it came and went. I remember being interested in it. Yeah. Uh, and then I just, and then it just completely off the radar. Yeah. It was good. I liked it. Yeah. Um, but in doing, you know, searching for adaptations, I stumbled across that one and was like, wait a minute, Alfonso Cuarón, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, people think of him as a, as a director who came about in the in the 20 aughts, but he did, he did stuff in the 90s. Mm-hmm. He directed, I think... Uh, either the secret garden or a little princess, one of those that you wouldn't immediately associate with the guy who did it to him. Yeah. But I think, I think it's a little princess. Yeah. I think that's, I feel like the secret garden was somebody else, but he, he, still it's like, what? Yeah. So he's, he's been around a while and he's, uh, he's an established, he's a, an established a, and bankable, director. And so I was very happy that he won best director. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he also incidentally, won the uh the bp for best director (laughs) and here's why i bring that up because uh not that that necessarily means anything but what i would say is that um the people who vote for the bps are probably more independent minded Mm -hmm. um and so if you were to compare the oscars to the bps you would see a lot of nominations in the bps that that were maybe never really in contention for the oscars like there's a lot of a lot of uh love for inside lewin davis Mm -hmm. but 
uh, Gravity still won director. It still won cinematography and editing. I mm-hmm. mean, because like wow. I said, it doesn't matter if you're an independent-minded person or a big-budget-minded person. You cannot deny the the brilliance of, of that direction. Mm-hmm. So I will say the film's biggest weakness is its script. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe that's one of the things that kept me from really embracing it. And one of the reasons I feel like it wouldn't work for me on the small screen, because at that moment when you don't have the spectacle and you still would on the small screen, but certainly not to the extent, not to the same extent. No. Uh, so at that point, really what character and dialogue is emphasized a lot more. And that dialogue is mostly not that good. Yeah. Uh, Sandra Bullock does a great job. Yeah, it's it's very simple. I mean, they they as we will read bits of the dialogue that declare theme, and when I say declare, I mean declare. I mean <laughs> yeah. it's it's all over the place. Yeah. Um I think the actors <sighs> All right, Sandra Bullock does a great job at all times. I think she's a very good actress. Uh and I think she really, I mean, she has to carry this movie. I mean, she's sort of our only link mm-hmm. uh, to humanity in this film, and she does a really wonderful job. She can carry a movie. But I think there are some other casting decisions that I, that I question. For example, George Clooney, who does a good enough job, but I think with the conception of the character and the way that Alfonso Cuaron directs him, I understand the character is meant to be charming and he's meant to be kind of unflappable. You know, that w- when you're a seasoned astronaut, you have to be sort of used to certain things, but there comes a moment. All right. The uh, spoilers for this movie, by the way. Um, so just skip ahead to let's say five minutes. There comes a moment when his character dies. We don't see him die. We see him float away and there's no one that's going to be able to rescue him. And he's still talking to her until he's out of range. And he's just saying very, he's saying like, admit it, you, you, you find me attractive, you know, and it got laughs in the theater, but this character is going to die and he knows it. And frankly, as charming as you are and as unflappable as you are, you have to be unflappable in the face of danger so that you can keep a cool head to get yourself out of danger. He can't get himself out of danger. His life is now over, and he has to contemplate that. It seems to me that he would not be saying the things he's saying or certainly not saying them the way he's saying them. He plays it very George Clooney-like, which is fine. It's understandable, but it just it took me out of it from uh, on an emotional level. So I thought that bit of casting and the way the character was written was just not great in my opinion. Hmm. Uh, and then also, uh, Ed Harris is the voice of mission control. What? Come on. <laughs> Seriously. He was mission control in Apollo 13. I have to assume that's the only reason he yeah. was cast. Not that he did a bad job. He has the authority, but part of me just thinks like, is that Ed Harris? Certainly they wouldn't do anything that obvious. Nope, that's him. And and that's another thing that takes me out of it because I really? immediately think of him in terms of Apollo 13. Um and those are those are small things. Yeah. But they can I, I be like, big. I feel like that's it's that's like uh nostalgia casting and I feel like a lot of people do that and it really doesn't doesn't bother me that much. Tarantino does it all the time. Um yes, granted, but his Tarantino films are a much different type of movie. Yes. Um, he wants you to think, Hey, that's so-and-so. Right. Um, um, whereas this film, I feel like shouldn't have that. Admittedly, mission control plays a role sort of only at the beginning of the film when things are a little bit lighter. Um, but it just, again, it's, it's, it's asking me to take this seriously and then doing a great job at causing me to do that. And so these strange choices in the script and in, uh, and in the casting, they belong in a in a slightly worse film, in a film that's a, that's much more middle of the road than this movie is. I mean, can you imagine if we'd had? He might be a little too old, but somebody like a Chris Cooper in the George Clooney role. He seemed again. He's a little old, but a Chris Cooper type. 
Hmm. You know, make of that what you what you will. I'm trying to think who that might be, but I'm not going to sit here in silence trying to do that. But uh, a Chris Cooper type, somebody who just who has confidence, who seems like who certainly seems competent in what they are doing, uh, but also brings a real weight to the character and a guy who can be funny too. Uh, when when you know when it calls for it, who seems like he could be calm in you know, in the face of, uh, adversity. Now, maybe that's a studio reason. Uh, I know that Clooney was one of the producers on it and, uh, maybe he realized, maybe he as a producer realized one of the way to get, one of the ways to get, uh, a budget on this film is to cast me in it. So maybe it's a practical decision, but it is something that took me out of it. But even that, all that aside, it really is, uh, the script and the obviousness of the script, which Alfonso Cuaron incidentally co-wrote with his son. Mm. Uh, so I get the feeling you're not getting a whole lot of uh, iron sharpening iron there, <laughs> to use a biblical term. I didn't. I actually did not know that was his son. For some reason, I thought it was his brother. I assumed it was his brother as well, yes. But uh, but then I looked it up, hmm. yes, and it is indeed his son. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, and like I just... Spy Kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly like Spy Kids. Yet an, which, don't give away the companion film, John. Um... But, uh, but yeah, that is what kept me from really embracing it in the moment. Certainly, it's not a film that, that stuck with me afterwards. But in the moment, sometimes there are lines that were just so obvious and so on the nose that I just thought, oh, geez. Hmm. Really? This is taking me out of it. And, and anytime a movie is, going to, is meant to be an immersive experience, anything that takes you out of that, if, even if only for a moment, I wind up taking note of. And maybe that's unfair, but it's, uh, I mean, you, you said yourself just now that, uh, you thought the script was a bit, bit obvious at times. Did that, mm. I mean, and it was your third favorite movie of last year. Mm. Did that bother you in the moment and you got yourself over it or did it just kind of fade from your, from your mind? Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't rem- I don't remember it bothering me in the movie. I don't remember like thinking about it in the movie or really taking me out. Mm. Um but I think there must have been times where I thought this is a little a little obvious or easy and I definitely thought that afterwards. And and when I think when you think about a movie afterwards and you're like there there wasn't any real challenging dialogue or there weren't any good good pieces of dialogue that I can remember. Yeah. Or I feel like there wasn't a, m- a moment in the movie where something in the dialogue moved me, you know? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a couple things here and there, just little, and even even obvious bits of dialogue can feel right in the moment. Uh, there is a moment where she's, not unlike um, the film Castaway, where you, you have a main character who just decides they need to, they need to talk to somebody. She manages to get somebody who does not speak English uh, on mm. the on the radio and so she's just talking to him I thought that was a good moment but I don't I don't remember any of the dialogue from that uh, I didn't remember this I had to look it up but there is a moment when she's talking about how back on earth there's nobody and that we'll get to that in a moment but there's nobody f- for her there's no one that will mourn her if she dies and then she talks about how you know I would like to pray she said can you can you pray for me I would like to pray but nobody ever taught me how uh, and that's first off, what I like about that moment is that it is not strictly speaking necessary. It's just, that's a character moment, that realization of, you know, I, this thing that never occurred to me to do right now, I feel like I would like to do it. I really wish someone had taught me this and just, it, it seems like something that would come about naturally from somebody just stream of consciousness, uh, speaking aloud. Um, so moments like that, I like, and not just because of the praying thing, and this is a Christian podcast, but it seems like an organic thing that would come out of the character. Um, but yeah, none of the dialogue is remarkably, uh, notable or anything like that. It's just, it's all very, for lack of a better term, functional, whether it be to reveal plot, reveal character or reveal theme. It's uh, it's always revealing. It's never exploring, I think. Yeah. So, and, uh, and what is that theme? Well, to, to talk about that, we're going to talk about the companion film first, which came out in 2007, and it is Wes Anderson's The Darjeeling Limited, written by Wes Anderson, Roman Coppola, and Jason Schwartzman. 
Now, I haven't seen this film in a while. Uh, Josh has seen it more often than I have. So we won't go into a lot of detail about the story, but, uh, but let's give, let's do like a real quick synopsis. What is Darjeeling limited about? Um, real quick synopsis, three brothers whose father has passed away, uh, travel to India to find their, their mother who Mm -hmm. now lives there as a, is she a nun or like a mother superior? It's just some kind of, yeah, something um, like that. Some kind of like quasi Catholic, uh, <laughs> establishment. It's not really a, uh, a convent, but it is kind of like a convent and her religion is very unclear, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, something of that sort. And so that's the, that's the basic premise of the movie. And it's about them, uh, dealing with their difficulties with each other with their with the loss of their father um reconnecting and uh finding out who who they all are in relation to these life events yeah and it's uh and the brothers are played by Owen Wilson, Adrian Brody and Jason Schwartzman, the mother's played by Angelica Houston. And so as they are on this train and they they have their itinerary for every day, what they're going to do and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and you see them, you know, clash with each other. But they are also in mourning uh, for their father and trying to figure out who they are. Like you said, with him being taken from their lives. And, of course, they're also trying to figure out, well, now that he's gone, what was our relationship with our father and that sort of yeah. thing. So – and one one thing that comes up in both of these movies is this idea of loss and grieving uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, in Gravity, Sandra Bullock's character uh, has lost her son, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, many years before. And she talks about how there are times when she just, back on Earth, she just finds herself driving late at night with nowhere really to go. And she just feels, I mean, that's the definition of aimless and directionless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get that impression from these brothers as well, uh, who it's not merely that they lost their father. That's just the most recent thing. Mm-hmm. They lost their family a while ago because they're not really friendly and they're not really on. It's not that they're not on speaking terms with their mom. They just don't talk to her. Right. And then when we, when we flash back to the actual funeral Mm -hmm. they clearly were not very connected then either yeah and so they just emotionally have been drifting they're directionless and then of course it's worth noting that uh they get on a train which is just always moving forward whether you want it to or not there's a line that i happen to look up where someone says like we lost the train they said how do you lose a train it's on tracks yeah (laughs) i was gonna quote that same line yeah and so um so i i really when i saw the darjeeling limited at that point, I had just seen Life Aquatic, which was a possibility for the uh, companion film, by the way. Um, and you could make a, an argument for it just as well as Darjeeling, Darjeeling Limited, but we decided to go with this one instead. Um, and I wasn't a huge fan of Life Aquatic. And then by the, by the time I saw trailers for Darjeeling Limited, I think I was kind of sort of done with Wes Anderson. I don't think I was interested anymore. I just felt like I knew his tricks, and that was the end of it. Uh, but I saw it anyway, because as a film person, what are you going to do? Not see a Wes Anderson movie? <laughs> Come on. Uh, and in many ways, it was what I expected. But in other ways, boy, was it more. It, uh, especially with the Owen Wilson character. Now, I don't like to necessarily get into gossip. But what I will say is that Owen Wilson, uh, around this time, uh, attempted suicide unsuccessfully. Um, and it was probably right around the time, time wise, it was probably right around the time he was making this movie. Did that, I can't remember now. Did that happen before the movie was released? I think so. Yeah. Really? And I, cause I, and I mentioned this because a lot of it is, I would consider it his best performance ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of critics noted that, well, we now know that he was dealing with some personal demons and maybe he brought that to this character and yeah. boy, do I agree. There's definitely kind of a darkness to it that's not in a lot of his other characters. Definitely not in his other uh, Wes Anderson characters. Yeah. You don't see it in 
in any of those or i mean mostly what he did before those these before darjeeling limited was wes anderson movies and comedies like you know zoolander or starsky and hutch or something so yeah none of that's really present here so that there is i remember it being almost uncomfortable watching it very much so and we'll get to the big moments mm-hmm. uh, a little bit later. Um, one thing when throughout the character, uh, throughout the film, the character has bandages on his face. He walks with a cane because he's been a, in a pretty terrible car accident. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, uh, his character's name is Francis. And then his brother's names are Peter and Jack. And so there's an exchange where Jack says, what do you think he looks like under all that tape and everything? And Peter says, well, I don't know about his face, but I think his brain might be pretty traumatized <laughs> uh, just based on his uh, just the way he his attitude and, and that sort of thing. Um, but all of the brothers have are responding to the grief in their own way. Uh, mm-hmm. Peter, played by Adrian Brody, he just keeps acquiring things of his father's and he wears his father's glasses, <laughs> though they are not his prescription <laughs> and his eyes just keep, he just keeps getting headaches from it, but he keeps wearing them. Yeah. Um, and they carry their father's luggage. One could say baggage mm-hmm. in a bit of pretty obvious metaphor yeah. right there. Um, they carry it with them wherever they go. And, and so they're just obviously they're just bringing all this stuff with them and they're not really dealing with it. Uh, and it not again, not just the stuff with their dad, but the stuff between each other and, and all of that. Hmm. And so what I want to talk about is, is loss and this idea of defining yourself by loss or by adversity or whatever you want to say, uh, which is something I think we do um, as people is we, we look at the sum of our, experiences and say, well, that's who I am. That's what my, that's what, those are the cards life dealt me. Mm. And this is something that I know that I, I, I have to consciously try and not do. Uh, cause at this point I've lost a, I was doing a little tally yesterday as I was making my notes, uh, for this and realized there's a, I've lost a lot of people in my life. Some of them really close to me, some of them a little bit further away, but it's very strange to think back on, you know, the last 32 years and think, oh, there, there were major players in my life at certain times that are just not there anymore. And I mean, even this is going to sound kind of strange. Even the more than one lesson family has lost somebody that was Will Gray, uh, almost exactly a year ago. And so, for some people it happens sooner for some people it happens later, but eventually everybody deals with a devastating loss and it might be the loss of a family member. It could be the loss of a wonderful job. It could be the loss of a dream uh, or something like that. Um, and it's easy to just let that dictate your actions, your philosophy. I know that for myself, I, I, I tend to take a, a fatalistic view and say, well, what's the point? So, so-and-so is just going to die anyway. <laughs> uh, and so even though I still think that I, I, I invest in my relationships, there's always part of me that just says, I mean, I, I run over and over in my mind. Okay. If this person, if I got a call tomorrow that this person died, what would be the practical implications of that? And then what, what would I do? What would I have to do? And of course I start thinking in terms of the practical applications because those are the easiest to deal with. Mm -hmm. They keep you from dealing with any, uh, with any personal implications. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let me, I, I will throw it to you. Um, I know you haven't lost a whole lot of people in your life, but everybody's life has some kind of disappointment mm-hmm. and, and some kind of frustration. Um, do you feel like that's a thing that, uh, that you deal with, uh, from time to time, just feeling like the world is maybe out to get you a little bit <laughs> and that you really shouldn't, uh, shouldn't put too much out there because, uh, bad things will happen. Um, I'd, I'd say that's not one of the things that I deal with a lot, but I, I can identify with that. Like I can identify with that idea that, um, of, of feeling kind of an absence of meaning when, uh, uh I guess it, directionless, like you said, mm-hmm. uh, Sandra Bullock feels in Earl Sandra Bullock's character, Ryan Stone. Yeah. Um, like the manliest name you can think of. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that that kind of sense of aimless, aimlessness when it seems like uh, there are 
you feel like you can't, you doubt constants now, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you feel like things that you counted on or expected to be there are no longer there, then suddenly, uh, what can you rely on? Like, what is yeah. a constant? Are there any constants? Yeah. You know, come to realize that everything's a variable, right? Yeah, and um, which can be very uh, off-putting. Very, I mean, it, it can range anywhere from being mildly annoying, yeah, to life-shattering. So, um, yeah, I can I can identify with that being a very uh, a very strong and difficult thing to deal with. Yeah, I remember uh, <laughs> this. I find this story funny. Within the first few months of my dad passing away, it didn't have because I lived in Chicago at the time. I, it didn't really have a practical effect on my life, um, and because of that, it didn't actually seem like. I mean, of course, it was a big deal. I knew that objectively, but I didn't really feel it, or at least not in a way that I was conscious of. And I remember I, I went to talk to my uh, pastor about various things, about just feeling frustrated with God and all that. And he said, well, has anything, has anything big happened in your life? I said, well, I mean, my dad died. He goes, what? what? And he just like, he, 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 he seemed to, he didn't say this, but he's almost like, you, you totally buried the lead. Uh, and he said, he said, imagine you're sitting on a chair and then someone quickly removes one of the legs of the chair. Yeah, you can still hold up. It's going to be a little wobbly, especially if you don't really realize, oh, shoot, I'm not making allowances for the fact that this leg is gone. <laughs> and it took me, it actually took me that conversation to really realize, oh, this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Just because I was 20 and living on my own, away from home, that doesn't, 20 is still fairly young. Mm-hmm. And. It's a, it is a big deal. It's okay to make it a big deal. Yeah. And then I think I might have gone... And then I think I probably had a pretty good handle on it. And then I fell in love with Jen. And then I realized just how much the loss affected me. Because then I was terrified that Jen was going to die. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, then then that's when you start to maybe put walls up. Or that's when, I, that's when for me, I just really didn't trust God at mm-hmm. all. Um, and so I want to talk about this idea of looking at these and letting it affect your spiritual outlook, your philosophical outlook, and just becoming somewhat miserable. Um, and so I'm going to quote a line from the film Rocky Balboa, which is way better than it had any right to be. It was the sixth <laughs> film in the franchise. Uh, and this is something that Rocky is saying to his adult son. He says, the world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. You have to imagine uh, Sylvester Stallone saying this. Can you do a Sylvester Stallone? No, the world ain't all eventually you sound like you have a if you do <laughs> you sound like you had a stroke at some point well rocky Man. looks like that's a possibility fair enough also i loved that they the kid they cast i forget his name now All i remember milo was, ventimiglia or something like that and that's it's about, italian he was on uh he was on heroes is the only thing that i remember mm-hmm. from but he his his face kind of naturally has that same sneer that uh, yeah. Sylvester Stallone does naturally. And I was like, good call casting. It's, it is a good casting decision. <laughs> uh, so the world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place. And I don't care how tough you are. It will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently. If you let it, you, me or nobody is going to hit as hard as life, but it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. I like that. That scene is very good, and Sylvester Stallone is very good in it. It turns out he was a good actor before he just decided to make Expendables movies for the rest of his life. <laughs> um, and so so even though that's not the companion film, it's something that really struck me. And there's a version of that uh, in Gravity where George Clooney's character is talking to in what turns out to be – spoilers, skip ahead 20 seconds <laughs> – in what turns out to be a fantasy sequence in which the character is still alive, he says to uh, Sandra Bullock, um, what's the point of going on? What's the point of living? Your kid died. Doesn't get any rougher than that. But still, it's a matter of what you do now. If you decide to go, then just get on with it. Sit back. Enjoy the ride. You got to plant your feet on the ground and start living life. Then there's a line that happens later, and it says, you've got to learn to let go. And what I lo- that is actually... Um, a motif that comes back sometimes uh, 
it's spoken. Sometimes it's seen, but this idea of letting go. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Sometimes you shouldn't let go. It's not about can't. You should not let go. If you let go, you're going to drift into space and die. Yeah. You can't let go. Holding on is a good thing. It's a positive thing for you. But eventually, you do need to let go of things. Mm-hmm. And, and you might drift what seems like aimlessly, but it's the only way to get to where you actually need to be. Yeah. And that and is it, a, that's a motif that I do really like in the film. Right. And it... it- it transforms throughout the film. Yeah. Also, it's it, it, earlier on the moments for her. It is more important to like, or, or for someone to not let go of her. Yeah. Like, isn't there a part where I feel like there's one where she's asking someone, don't let go, don't let go. I, I maybe I'm remembering this and it didn't actually happen, but, uh, the idea being earlier on, that's the world that she lives in where you can't let go of anything. It's, yeah. it's the worst thing that can happen is to let go. And then she has to come to the point where she, yeah, her mind has to change on that. Yeah, and it's just, and that's, I'm reminded of a, a quick analogy. I remember when I first moved here, Jen and David from Battleship Pretension and I, we were all driving. I was driving. I was not yet, not yet at all comfortable with the freeway system. And I was driving on the 101 headed north, and I had to get off on the 170. We were actually about to look at my old apartment yeah. for the first time. So I had to get off on the 170, but it was like four lanes over. But I didn't know that. <laughs> And so I said, like, look, I'm just going to stay where I am. And they said, you can't stay where you are. You have to move over several lanes to get where you need to go. And that's the thing. The idea of staying in your lane and not swerving one way or the other, that's not a bad strategy. But sometimes you have to risk something in order to get where you actually need to go. And so, um, so yeah, and, and you can't just lock into because if she says, always let go. Well, that's not always a great, great strategy or never let go. That's not a good one either. Either one of those in the film will get her killed. Yeah. Just if, if she were to stick by that all the time. And so, uh, and I feel like that's something that happens in Darjeeling Limited as well is eventually these characters, they're holding on to this idea of their father and previous wounds and relationships and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I believe the train is leaving the station and they've got their father's bags. And in it, what is a very obvious metaphor, yeah. they, they have to run to make it. And then Francis Owen Wilson says, dad's bags aren't going to make it. So they have to drop them and jump on the train. Mm. And it's a nice visual representation of their letting go quite literally of their father's baggage, mm-hmm. which they're carrying for maybe perfectly good reasons. But now there are more important things than, than the, the bad thing that has happened. Now what's more important is to the three of them together to make it on that train. What ha- what's important, as much as I don't like to say it, I'm nostalgic. I don't like the idea of forgetting the people that have passed away. But the people that are important, the things that are important are what's happening now. Mm-hmm. The people in your life right now. By all means, you can you can take what you've learned from the people that have gone uh, you can always remember them. You can cherish them, but only in so far as you can ad- apply that to now. Right. And as good as those things are, if holding on to them keeps you back and not keeps you from moving forwards, yeah, then it may not be worth it. Yeah. I mean, again, if at some point, if Sandra Bullock's character doesn't let go, she, for lack of a better term, goes down with the ship. Mm-hmm. And there's a really wonderful moment, and and it takes acknowledging what the wounds are. And there's a in maybe one of my favorite scenes in any film ever in the Darjeeling Limited. We get oh, to the point I'm welling up now because it's such a wonderful scene. Owen Wilson is looking in the mirror, but in in this case, the mirror is the camera. Directly He's looking camera. at us. Yeah. And he's taking his bandages off and his brothers are with him. And you see he's got major scars from this accident. Yeah. And, and which is, I think, made more powerful by the fact that the the bandages themselves look a little silly. Yeah. So the whole time he's been going around with this kind of these kind of silly bandages, you almost you almost question at times whether they're even really that necessary. Yeah. Especially looking at the cane, how it seems to be kind of a, an affectation. Yeah. So you look at it as as maybe silly and unnecessary. Yeah. Until this scene. Yeah. 
and so he unwraps, he's got those scars and then Owen Wilson just has this thousand yard stare. It looks like he's about to cry, but it almost looks like it would be too painful both emotionally and literally and physically to cry. And he's just staring straight ahead. And then when the, when the wounds are revealed, he says, he says, I guess I've still got a lot of healing to do. Mm-hmm. But then his brothers, Jack says, getting there though. And then Peter says, anyway, it's definitely going to add a lot of character, <laughs> which is a, a nice humorous moment, but it's also, that's pretty full of meaning as well. Yeah. And so, you know, what does it look like to let go of things? I don't know. Honestly, I mean, aside from just really looking at what's around you now and understanding the value of it, but also thinking in the long in the total long term of eternity, and you realize it's not you, you're not forgetting these people, you're not being disloyal to them, or or the things that you've lost, whatever it could be a person, it could be whatever, um, but you're not doing anybody any good by just living in the past all the time either, mm-hmm. or just dwelling on your mistakes or your losses or your wounds. Um, it's important to tend them, make sure they heal. And then once they are healed, you can move forward. But of course, if you're still, it, it won't heal if you don't stop picking at it. That's yeah. the other thing. So I have a number of, of verses to read here. Uh, we're going to power through these because, uh, we've hit that hard out and we got to go. <laughs> all right. So Job, by the way, is a wonderful book to read for all of this. Everything we're talking about. So uh, we're going to go through sort of the emotional, uh, the emotional arc here. Uh, so we've got two from Job, one from Philippians, and of course one from Revelation that I've read before. Uh, Job fourteen one: Mortals born of woman are of few days and full of trouble. They spring up like flowers and wither away like fleeting shadows. They do not endure. That is a very <laughs> technically technically accurate <laughs> but also very very depressing um and if you were to go through life thinking only in those terms it might give you a certain degree of perspective but it would also i think keep you from investing in other people and really investing in life at all mm-hmm. uh job 19 verses 25 through 26 this is all this is also from job uh and this is a bit more uplifting as he's starting to realize that there's more to life than his own, than his problems. And so, uh, I typed these out late at night. So there might be a typo, Josh, go, go get him. All right. Uh, I know that my redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. All right. And then I'll jump to Philippians 1 verses 21 through 25. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am going if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. It's literally, and that's the thing, if you think maybe a little too eternally and think in terms of, ah, oh, I just want to be with God, we're meant to be here. If we are here, we're meant to be here, which means we're meant to do something. Mm-hmm. Yes, you want to be with God and you will be, but right now, this is where you need to be and why? That's the question. And when we're trying to get away from our negative things, some of us only will look skyward for comfort and we'll find it. But then we won't start, we'll only ever be looking up and we won't look side to side and see the world that we're in Mm -hmm. and that we need to be a part of. Yeah. Okay. And then lastly, Revelation 21 verses one through four, Josh, take it. All right. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And I know that I've used that verse before because it's such a wonderful promise. You know, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. That is the promise that can get us through the hard times. But as we've seen 
this is where we are. And whether we're in the midst of a hard time or we've gone or we've gone through one or there's one coming up, sometimes we can see them coming. Uh, we don't have to let ourselves be defeated or defined by these things. We are not merely a function of the bad things that have happened to us. Because if we do that, if we think in those terms, we can be very cynical and we probably won't be of any good to anybody. Certainly not ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and gravity is a great example of that. Darjeeling Limited is a great example of that. People who have had, who have experienced really rough stuff. I mean, I do like that line of you lost a kid. There's nothing rougher than that. That yeah. is pretty much uh, losing a kid and a spouse. I mean, I've lost a parent. That's sad. But at the same time, that is the natural progression. Your parents mm-hmm. will go before you do. That's, yeah. you know. But if I lost Jen, that would be so devastating it would be hard for me to not be completely defined by that for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. But if I were to do that, I wouldn't be doing anybody any good. And I might miss, for example, if she were to die tomorrow, five years from now, whatever, I might meet somebody that I'm supposed to be with and that I would be, I would be good for them and they would be good for me. But if I'm stuck in mourning, if I'm, or if I'm scared to let myself invest in them because I could lose them too, then, I, then again, the only way to guarantee that you're not that you're never going to get hurt is never to do anything at all. And then what good are you? You know, and I don't mean to put it in, in such callous terms, but we are here to bless other people and to, to teach them about the love of God. But the only way to do that is to invest in other people and to take risks from time to time. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that if you're only ever worried about repeating past mistakes or circumstances in which you've experienced loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... That is what these what I like about these movies. Um, we do need to end right now. Uh, unless, do you have anything uh, no, to throw I, in? I think that wraps up nicely. Okay. So, all right, everybody, you can go to morethanonelesson.com and uh, read various uh, blogs and listen to past episodes and that kind of thing. You can follow me on Twitter at More Lessons. You can follow Josh at the Josh Long. At the Josh Long. Don't forget to come and see us at Comic Con on July 24th, 8 p.m., uh, the Dublin Square Irish Pub. We would love to see you. Uh, thank you all for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.